Hey everybody, welcome back to Poem Peeps. We are very excited to be back with another Rapid Fire Journal Club episode. Today we are going to be talking about the Ethos Trial from the New England Journal of Medicine in 2020. And I am ecstatic to be back with our associate editor, Luke Hedrick. He was a resident at Beth Israel and is currently a pulmonary critical care fellow at Emory. Hey Luke, welcome back. Hey Dave, thanks for having me. Really excited to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for diving into this landmark trial. It's going to be really helpful for all of us. Uh, without any further ado, tell us about the background of Ethos and what led up to this trial. Yeah, so the Ethos trial uh, came out in 2020. And at the time, there was no pharmacotherapy that had been shown to have any mortality benefit in COPD. You know, we had all these inhalers and treatments and things we did for people, but none of them made a mortality difference. There had been a suggestion of some mortality benefit in prior studies for inhaled steroids, but all the ones that had shown that, like Torture, Summit, or Inspire, were limited in some way methodologically. They were underpowered, or the sample size wasn't quite as large as we'd like, the follow-up wasn't all that long-term, or there was just missing data. And we know that, especially in folks with COPD, that inhaled steroids are associated with some adverse effects, like pneumonia, cataracts. And so thinking about a pharmacotherapy that could have a mortality benefit would obviously be a huge win, but at the same time, this is not something that seems like it would be a free lunch. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting to think about that. This is a well-studied population, even in this common disease where we had lots of trial-guiding therapy, the most clinically meaningful one, we didn't have a, a clear answer on. So that, that leads us to this trial. All right, that's great. So let's tell us about Ethos. Tell us how it was set up and what was the question it was set up to answer. Yeah, so Ethos was pretty rigorously designed. It was a phase three double-blind parallel group international RCT, which is quite the mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the good out- things. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. All those good buzzwords. The primary outcomes, they had two big ones. In terms of an efficacy endpoint, they were looking at the annual rate of a moderate or severe COPD exacerbation. And then there was a safety endpoint too, which I really liked, of a confirmed pneumonia, confirmed cardiovascular event, or death from any cause. And just, I guess, so that we're all speaking the same language in terms of definitions, they defined a moderate exacerbation of COPD as anything that required systemic steroids or antibiotics for at least three days. And a severe exacerbation was anything that led to admission or death. Yeah, super important to think about the definitions because especially with something like a COPD exacerbation, it's often defined by the intervention that we choose to do. And so having a, a review of what the trial is using as that definition is, is very important. Okay, great. So we have our setup. We're going to look at this annual rate of exacerbations. We're also going to look at pneumonia, death from any cause or cardiovascular event. So who ends up being in the trial? Sure. So they had a, a handful of inclusion criteria, and I'll go through that and the exclusion criteria, and then maybe just try to put that into plain English. That's great. Uh, but I like to try to think through those specifically. So it was folks age 40 to 80 who had a COPD assessment test, or CAT, of 10 or more. The average was like 19 to 20, which is actually really symptomatic. Yeah. Those were patients who were getting at least two inhaled maintenance meds, and about 80% of them were already using an inhaled steroid at screening, actually. Hmm. Their post-bronchodilator FEV1 had to be between 25% and 65% 
across all groups on average, it was about 43. They needed at least a 10 pack year smoking history. And again, they had across all groups about 47 pack years on average. If somebody's FEV1 was less than 50%, they needed to have at least one moderate or severe COPD exacerbation in the last year. And if their FEV1 was 50% or more, two moderate or one severe exacerbation in the last year. In terms of exclusion criteria, a current diagnosis of asthma they was something actually that they would exclude folks for. And so then taking a step back and trying to put that maybe into plain English, these were quite symptomatic patients with lots of smoking exposure and moderate to very severe COPD with ongoing exacerbations despite dual therapy. That's a great summary. Looking at the inclusion and exclusion and thinking about who you're focusing on is so important. We know previous to this trial, the benefits of steroids and asthma. So we want to exclude those people. And then in terms of the CAT and the COPD exacerbations, if you've all listened to our COPD episodes, or you can envision the gold square in your mind, we're really honing in on this gold D mostly. They're highly symptomatic and then usually some more exacerbations. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google gold or look on our website, we'll add it. And then you could listen to our COPD episodes, but we have a great setup. Okay, I feel like I have to look up that two by two table like every six weeks now in fellowship. For sure, you'll have it memorized in no time. Yeah. Sure. We have our great setup. These trials are always complicated when we have inhalers with multiple meds. So tell us about the intervention and the different arms that we have. Yeah. So the intervention here was a little complicated. They randomized about eighty five hundred patients, so pretty good sample size, into one of four arms. They randomized them one to one to 52 weeks or a full year of triple therapy with a high-dose inhaled steroid. And that was 320 mics per day of budesonide was the inhaled steroid they used. The second arm was triple therapy, but with a lower dose of the inhaled steroid. So 160 mics per day, or about half of what the high-dose group was getting. The third group was a long-acting muscarinic antagonist and a long-acting beta agonist or a lama-lava. And then the fourth group was a LABA and an inhaled steroid. I think a clever thing they did here is that the components, so the particular molecules in those classes, were the same across all the groups. The whole trial, if you got a steroid, no matter what group you're in, you got budesonide. If you got a muscarinic antagonist, you got glycopyrrolate. And if you were in the, if you got a long-acting beta agonist, rather, you got formoterol. All of those were administered twice a day. They used in identical metered dose inhalers, so the pump ones, with a washout of their previous drug during screening. They used during screening when they were washing out their home maintenance meds, they used ipratropium and albuterol, and then a, a home steroid for folks who were already on one. Yeah. And this is a really important point. I'm just going to pause there. We've had some trials that have been confounded by the fact that we know when you withdraw steroids, you can get increased airway inflammation. So the fact that they didn't pull steroids away from somebody who was already on it during this washout period, and then they're getting randomized to these different interventions is something for us to consider once they're switching from their prior therapy. Okay. And then they stratified these groups a little bit. So we had some comparisons that we were powered to answer. Is that right? Yeah, so they stratified according to exacerbation history, so one versus two or more. Their post-bronchodilator FEV1, if it was under 50% or 50% or more, by eosinophils, so eos less than 150 or 150 or more, and then by the country the person was in. 
Okay, that's great. All right, so we have our setup, we have our patients, we have four different interventions we're gonna be looking at, and we have our pre-specified subgroups so we can make some statements about them later. All right, so what did we find? Tell us about what the outcomes and what we learned. Yes, whenever I look at the outcomes, either efficacy or safety-wise, I always try to think of how the study was powered as a way to frame that. And so for this one, their power calculation they needed 8,400 patients, which they just overachieved. They had a little bit more than that to provide a 93% power to detect a 15% lower annual rate of moderate or severe COPD exacerbations in the HIDOS arm. Of note, they actually were not powered to detect a difference between the two triple therapy arms. Of these patients, 83, just over 83% of them completed the trial and about 77% of them completed all 52 weeks of treatment, which is pretty good. And really pretty long for a year-long trial, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. So looking at the efficacy endpoint, in their primary analysis, triple therapy was superior to dual therapy at both dose levels, and there was no difference between the triple therapy groups. Specifically, in the high-dose arm, there was a 24% reduction in the annualized COPD exacerbation rate, versus a lamellaba group, 13% reduction for the ics lava group. And when you look then at the lower dose triple therapy arm, that also was superior to those other two groups that the dual therapy groups. So there was a 25% rate reduction versus lamellaba and 14% versus the ics lava. So significant between both triple therapy arms and the effect size was maybe a little bit higher in the higher dose arm. Yeah, interesting. Some clear numbers that your triple therapy is outperforming either of your other combo therapies. All right. And then there was a secondary analysis using, and, and this is where I think this trial gets a little bit interesting. They used what's called an attributable estimand, which is a way of communicating the effects of a medication or an intervention where any data obtained after the intervention is stopped due to a lack of efficacy or a side effect, it just gets labeled as a poor response. Hmm. And so when they did that secondary analysis, it suggested a higher rate of COPD exacerbation across the board. And so all of the groups maybe did a little bit worse than the primary analysis suggested, hmm. but there was no change in the comparison between the groups. And so the effectiveness of that intervention seemed pretty robust, even in that secondary analysis. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting way. Being thorough and rigorous with their assessment to make sure that they have a complete understanding of what the impact of their medications were on the trial population. All right, let's talk about the mortality. Is something of great interest for these patients. Yeah, I think this is really, I think, the part of the reason we're talking about this trial in the first place. In this study, high-dose triple therapy improved mortality compared to a lamellaba. The hazard ratio there was 0.54, and their confidence interval ran from 0.34 to 0.87. Pretty robust. But interestingly, there was not an improvement in mortality when it was compared to low-dose triple therapy or the lava ICS arms. The low-dose group actually did not improve mortality, mortality excuse me, compared to any of the other arms. Interestingly, in another paper, there was an updated analysis that was published a year later in the Blue Journal where they used the final retrieved vital status data. So at the time of initial publication, they were missing the mortality data on 384 of the patients. Hmm. They found of those 384, they managed to get 354 of them, kind of what their vital status was at week 52. And in that updated analysis, they actually confirmed their initial findings. 
with a number needed to treat to prevent a death of only 80 for the high-dose triple therapy arm versus a lamellaba, which is like pretty robust when you think about how many patients we all have on our panels. Yeah, absolutely. There was a trend in favor, too, of the high-dose versus low-dose arms, as well as the high-dose versus the ICS-LABA, but those didn't quite reach significance. And it's always interesting when we have these trends. I think if everything's pointing in one direction, it makes us feel like the trend could be significant, but we always have to acknowledge that we're not really our statistical endpoints that we've pre-specified. And then let's talk about, we think about even outside of our asthmatics, just phenotypes of these patients. And one thing we, they thought about pre-stratification and that we should address is sort of their baseline eosinophilia, since we know this could have some degree of insight about their airway inflammation. Yeah. So when they looked at that pre-specified group, um, the mortality difference of the high-dose triple therapy compared to a lamellaba seem to generally show increasing benefit around 200 EOs as the tipping point. So once you reached about 200 cells, it seemed like there was more benefit as your eosinophil or inflammation, what we use as a marker of airway inflammation was higher, which would fit with that physiology. Absolutely. It definitely helps us correlate what our effect is and just makes sense to us. Okay, very cool. So anything else that we should take away about the mortality? Yeah, I think there's just a couple other things that I just wanted to point out about this trial that I think are makes the findings a little bit more robust or make me more confident in their findings. So that in that updated analysis, they did some uh, interesting statistical work to try to figure out how robust their findings were or how fragile they were. First, they used a tipping point analysis, which suggested, again, that the findings were relatively robust, that you would have had to change a, a significant number of outcomes for the statistical significance to swing the other way. They then used what's called a landmark analysis, where they excluded the first 30, then 60, and then 90 days of treatment, and the effects remained significant. So even in just the patients taking the inhaled steroids at baseline. The reason they did that, we hinted at earlier, is that we know in some folks who are taking an inhaled steroid, if you just stop it, they can rebound into an exacerbation essentially. And so by ex- excluding those first 30, 60, 90 days of treatment and still finding a significant benefit, it would suggest that mortality difference we saw was not being driven by a withdrawal effect from their baseline inhalers. Yeah, that's really interesting. As we were talking about, it builds on our earlier point. You have to think about this washout period. If we remember, we had a highly prevalence of using ICS. During the washout, they could continue that. And so then if they got randomized to one of the non-steroid arms, you could ask yourself, is this just the dropout of the steroids that happened? So doing an analysis that addresses that concern is very interesting. And then just one like small pearl here um, it, that I noticed when I was reading through this is that across all the groups in people who died and had an exacerbation of COPD, the median time to death was 30 days. And if that exacerbation was a severe one, so anything requiring admission to the hospital, that time to, median time to death was 19 days. These exacerbations are really bad for people. Uh, absolutely. If, if, if you guys have not listened to our COPD episode, I think it's definitely worth taking a listen. We were talking to uh, Brad Drummond from UNC, and he would talk about these as like lung strokes. Like this is an exacerbation. We think of them so commonly, but this is a huge impact on your mortality. Um, so the fact that we see it in this prospective trial uh, just uh, underlines that point.
Okay, so we've talked about the mortality, we've talked about the exacerbations. What about safety? You raised some concerns with the inhaled steroids. We worry about pneumonia, we worry about adverse effects. What did we see about that? Yeah, so adverse event rates were actually quite common. So they range from 61.7 to 64.5% across all the groups, actually, with serious events happening around 20% in all the different groups. Those adverse events were most commonly nasopharyngitis, COPD. Interestingly, I'm not, it's not totally clear to me how COPD was an adverse effect here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like, then it, an upper respiratory tract infection was like the third most common. In terms of specific ones, so I know we worry about pneumonia when we're inhaling a, a steroid. And that was about 35 to 4.5% of patients in the groups that were getting an inhaled steroid. And two to three percent, or excuse me, two point three percent in the llama lava group that did not get a steroid, and in that group that did not get a steroid, they had a longer time to their first pneumonia, which may suggest there's there is in fact this real concern about pneumonia. Yeah. Uh, about of those, about two thirds of those pneumonia events were confirmed to be a serious pneumonia. Okay. Yeah, something we've known, right? You're reducing the, the immune response of your airway by inhaling the steroid there, and you're making yourself more susceptible to getting a superimposed infection. But then we always have to take it in the context of the other things we care about, like hospitalizations, exacerbations, and death. So, right. Cool. I, I will say one thing that was a little reassuring, at least, is that there was no significant difference in the systemic effects of the steroids. So there was no higher rates of diabetes, of fragility fractures of ocular effects, because I know these are things we also worry a little bit about when folks are getting a bunch of steroid. Yeah, absolutely. And these are the types of things that come up, people ask about, they've heard about it for systemic steroids, but less of a concern. Okay, we have a lot of information we just went through, a lot of things that we've taken in and incorporated our practice. What's the bottom line? What's your takeaway? Yeah, I think the takeaway for me here is that in this study, triple therapy with a high dose inhaled steroid component reduces COPD exacerbations compared to dual therapy and decreases mortality when compared to lima-lava regimens. Individual patient characteristics may affect the magnitude of that benefit. And really, more importantly, mortality reduction is a real achievable goal of therapy and COPD. Absolutely. These are really important takeaways. They've shaped the way we've done treatment. The Gold Society standards have gone on from this trial, and we, we have a real low threshold to go to Lama Lava ICS. And we do consider the eosinophil count. So I think this trial was like our first step forward into thinking about that. Now, I think if we have a patient who has persistently low eosinophils, maybe we're a little bit quicker to drop the ICS and do a Lama Lava. But until you have your first comer, this trial really helps guide your management to say, you're symptomatic, you exacerbate a lot, this triple therapy is going to have these benefits, and I can actually tell you we have evidence to suggest that. All right, we were going to share an infographic so you have all these points, and you can just reference it quickly when you have your COPD patient. Luke, thank you so much for going through this with us. This was great. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, and we will be back with some more episodes and more Rapid Fire Journal Clubs coming soon.